You're listening to the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast, your source for tips and tricks on building wealth through real estate in Connecticut. You will get the best techniques from leading local experts in real estate and lending. Now, here's your host, Robert Weinberg. Good Saturday morning to everybody and welcome to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast along with Rob Weinberg. I'm Gary Byron. Uh, Good to see you, Rob. Good to see you this morning, Gary. Ah, man. How's your week? Hey, man, we're rocking and rolling this summer. What can I say? Do you traverse the state? Do you take the family out and on nice oh, days yeah. and do family? I was like, out. Uh, I was in Stonington, Mystic oh, area, back area. for Memorial Day. I mean, I'm all over the place. You know, I try to just anything good going on. I try to be there. I love the food truck festivals going on. I was down a couple weeks ago at Celebrate Shelton down yep. in Shelton Veterans Park down there. Phenomenal time. You know, I bring the family out. I have a two year old. That's right. That's right. So you take day trips and, and oh yeah, all the time, all the time. Love it. Time. Yeah. I mean, this time of year you gotta enjoy where you live, you know, and you got to embrace where you live too. You know, we talked on the last show about the time of year and socialization and all that, mm-hmm. and it's like if you're living in New England, this is the time. What's now? I'm going to talk professionally now. What's the difference between this summer, June 2023? And let's just go back one year. Okay. Because I, I, I kind of know the answer. Right. If I will, 10 years, I don't, I don't even have to work in your industry, and I know what the difference was compared to 10 years ago. But even one year, June of 2022, what's the, what's the major difference? I'd say right now buyers are hungrier than they were a year ago. A year ago, I saw a lot really? of buyers that were very hesitant to offer well over ask. They were very hesitant to max out their pre-approval. Uh, there was a lot of uncertainty. Now I think we've seen such a prolonged hotness in the housing market, and people were sitting there waiting for a downturn. We had it. It was last November. So if you were waiting, you missed out, right? So when people realized I missed out, the houses' prices aren't going down, they got serious, and I got inundated with requests for pre-approvals uh, way more than I was, you know, even a year, even two years ago. And it was buyer's willingness just to bite the bullet and move forward. I need a home. It's an emotional need. Financially, can I do it? And if the answer is yes, let's let's roll. They're not afraid with the right guidance, with the right team supporting them. They're not afraid to offer well over ask. They're not afraid to max things out. And, of course, there are certain cases where that's not good, right? But there's also certain cases where it does make sense. And I can tell you many stories we don't have time for, but people that had that mentality like in 2020 and 2021, remember those markets? And they bit that bullet and they paid that 40, 50 grand over ask or they took that mortgage they didn't know if they could do. And now they're sitting there so thankful. In a lot of cases. You know, I could understand one or the other, but a, but a dual negative is, is, is hard to justify. And what do I mean by a, a dual negative? Okay, so if I'm going to pay thirty, forty thousand 40000 in some cases, 50000 in some cases, mm-hmm. over the asking price, and at the same time, the interest rates are close to 7%. So it's usually one of the two. It's either low interest rates and I'm going to pay a lot for the I house or, or I'm going to pay little for the house because the interest rate, is, or interest rate is high. But when you get two negatives, high interest rate and bidding wars over the, way over the asking price, that's a double negative. How can people justify that? Well, how you could justify it is everyone's in a different situation. Can you afford it or not? 
Like, it's a yes or no question. If I, you know, a year well, ago. Well, you can ask that about anything. But you know, a I year mean. ago, your mortgage was 2500 a month, for example. Now your mortgage is 2800 a month. Can you afford 2800 a month? Notice, I didn't talk about the rate. I didn't talk about the taxes. I didn't talk about the price. Can you afford the house? It's a, it's a question everyone has to ask. There are many buyers in this market that are financially strong, have good jobs, have good income, have low debt ratios. Those people can take a little bit of a financial risk on buying a home above ask. When you have people cutting you know, every last penny, unfortunately in this market, those are the ones that can't and shouldn't pay well over, and those are also the underserved. Those are the ones that are not getting the homes in many, many cases. Now, there are certain realtors that I work with, one in particular, Josh Brown, we've had on this show with Keller Williams. You know, every realtor sitting here complaining about the market and these price ranges. Then I throw clients to Josh, and he actually gets offers accepted in amazing deals, seller concessions. Like, how is he able to do it and others aren't? So I always say it's about that team, but it's also about his guidance of these buyers. Can they do it? Can they not? And what is their comfortability level? And getting them to that and making a deal that works for everyone. Okay? Yeah. I mean, I'm seeing houses that are going on the market on a Friday and the following Wednesday, we're not even talking one full week. We're talking five days later, they've accepted an offer. And I'm like, wow. Well, that happens so quick. They've got to be decisive. Under a week. <laughs> under a week. I've seen them under two days, under three days. Okay. If you got a good house priced well, it's a good deal. There's a lot of demand for that right now. And there's going to be, we talk about rates. We said it on the last show. Watch rates go down over the next 12 months and watch how many people get in the market. You think... 10, 20 offers on a house now, wait until rates are at five and get ready for double the amount of offers. Get ready for the houses to go even higher and get ready for that well over ass to be well, 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 well over ass. That's what's coming if and when those rates go down. Now, if it happens gradually and more inventory comes on the market, which is what I kind of think should happen over the next year or two, then it'll be more of a gradual, right? I don't think we're just going to wake up one day and, and have lower rates unless we have some sort of pandemic or something crazy happen that causes you know the rates to bottom out like they did before but you know don't worry about the rate now because today's home buyer is looking at that long-term investment and what what's my trajectory in this house a year two five years from now right there is a a very very high likelihood close to a hundred percent that in the next couple of years you're going to have some sort of opportunity to refinance i just don't know when how or the specifics but even if we save you a hundred two hundred dollars a month on your mortgage payment you bought the house once you get that new mortgage when you need to get that new mortgage you get that and restructure that loan when it makes sense to restructure that loan Okay, so for all of our listeners, stay motivated, stay hungry, stay thirsty, work with that good agent, get you that house of your dreams. Agents, I've noticed this too, agents are purposely listing houses at a little below the value in hoping to provoke bidding that far exceeds what they would have originally, uh, the asking price would have been. Seeing it all the time. And it's, I mean, look, it's a good strategy and it obviously works. Because every house pretty much is going well over ask and that's the reason. But to shift gears in today's episode, what I wanted to dive into was like, not your first time buyer, not your second time buyer, but, you know, step back. What can real estate do for you when it comes to your retirement plan? 
everyone's just worried about putting their their head on a pillow at night, and that's important, and that's what we talk about on ninety percent of our shows, right? Buying that first or second home, that first investment property. But you know, something that I'm passionate about myself and, and put into practice myself every day is using real estate as a retirement. And in today's episode, I want to dive into a blueprint. That's very outside the box. We're going to talk about ideas in today's show that you may have never heard of before and some you may be very familiar with, but I think it's important that people know what options they have because it starts with that first home. To our first-time buyers listening today, don't tune out. Stay with us because the value you're going to get in today's show could make you millions of dollars over the next decade. You're going to have to explain the concept then of using real estate as a means to generate retirement income. Are we talking about investment properties, commercial, multifamilies? What what are we talking about? Or or both? So first of all, let's look at why do you need retirement income? Well, right. You're not working anymore. So what do you need, though? Like, let's look at it. You need a monthly check coming in to help pay your bills. All right. right? So let's break it down. You're getting Social Security. Now, granted, in the state of Connecticut, you can't live just by Social Security. I I don't even want to Are you talking about 401ks? What about someone who's 50? who's retiring off of real estate. They don't get Social Security. So when we dumb it down to the most basic level, the reason that you need retirement income is because when you're retired, you're not working. You need something to fill that gap. For some people, it's Social Security. For some people, it's a pension. For some people, it's an annuity, whole life insurance. There's a zillion different places. We're not dealing with any of that today. We're talking about real estate. How can real estate give you that monthly paycheck? So there's different ways that that can be done, okay? Number one is acquiring rental property. Acquiring properties that produce rental income. It could be commercial. It could be residential. I'm just talking very generic here, okay? Properties that produce rental income. Number two is real estate investment trusts. These are uh, financial vehicles that you can invest in and entrust your money to institutions that will then allocate that money to real estate and pay you dividends on that money. So it's completely passive. You don't have to lift a finger. You don't have to talk to anyone. And then the last one that I want to hone in on, this is the one I'm the most passionate about because it's the newest one that most people don't know about, is real estate crowdfunding, real estate syndications. This is when instead of buying a property yourself, we use technology. We use artificial intelligence. We get money from a lot of different people and we pool it together and then we buy a property. It's, it used to be called real estate syndication. Now, with the internet, it's called real estate crowdfunding. Now, this is something that I personally got in on the ground floor back in 2008, 2009, in the midst of that huge real estate crash. Oh, yeah. I started doing this syndication and crowdfunding stuff when no one else was for reasons that we can talk about. But I love it because it's passive. I love it because I get a monthly deposit into my bank account. And I'm 39 years old. I am not retired. I'm not near retired. But I have thousands of dollars a month coming in from real estate syndications, real estate investment trusts, the stuff we're talking about. So everything we're going over, I have all three of these. My goal is to show people so they can decide what works for them. So, re- all right, so let me make sure I understand what you're saying correctly. You could realistically own 1% of some multi million dollar complex in a state you've never even been in let alone yes, been into the, been into let alone been into the actual not only property. can you own property there you also have it managed for you completely passively so it's not only like you have it but you don't have any of the work yes there are fees that you have to pay the manager and all that and you know that's neither here nor there but the point of the matter is it's passive so there's really two ways to do real estate passive and active i have both but 
when you're looking at retirement, I'm biased towards passive, right? Because when you're in retirement, do you really want you running around to different houses, no, fixing not. toilets, no. calling contractors and all this? You don't. Passive is the way that I found that yeah, you no, can no, get that's the way to... most of the upside <clears throat> with very, very little downside. I actually would even say less downside because you're dealing with experienced professionals. So, again, I want to instill in our listeners some new ideas so that they can make an informed decision at what's best for them. Do they want to be an active real estate investor and make big bucks with a, a lot of work? Or do they want to be more passive? Step back. You're going to make a little less, but you have zero time invested. You just get a paycheck or an ACH into your bank account every single month, like clockwork or quarterly, and you pay that you pay your bills using that money i know which i prefer but everyone's in a different spot all right wow um you got into this at the ground level though yes sir and you're getting checks every month and uh, i mean how long does it take for you to break even because i'm sure you had to put up a great amount of money initially it's not about breaking even though with real estate for retirement it's about cash flow okay so Breaking even, I mean, you'll break even when the property sells and you get your money back plus 10 grand on top of it. Like, that's the break even part. But step back and don't look at that. It's how much money am I going to make per month from this? So imagine this for a second. Rather than investing in one building, one commercial property or one four unit, and let's say you're going to make 5000 a month off that, okay? Mm-hmm. One property. Why not take that money, put it in 10 properties, and get 500 a month from each of the 10? Now you have the same net 5000 with a lot less risk. That's possible through real estate crowdfunding. That's possible even through the real estate investment trust that we'll be talking about. Um, and, you know, the differences between the, the two, really, the difference between the three and what people think is best for them. So there's a lot of key advantages here of, of investing in real estate for retirement. Let's say compared to the other more investment options. So most people, when they talk about retirement, it's stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and real estate. Those are the main ones, right? Am I missing anything there? Stocks, bonds, real estate, and mutual funds. So with that said, how do we compare? Well, If you're lucky, you'll get a dividend from your stocks if you pick the right ones and all that. Real estate, though, is the one asset class that is designed to pay a dividend. It's called rental income, right? And when you're looking at retirement, that works out perfectly because most tenants pay rent monthly. You pay your bills monthly. So having a monthly recurring income, it makes sense. That's why real estate is so powerful for retirement. Property appreciation over time. You have with the stock market, your stocks can go up, right? Your bonds can go up. With real estate, the property value can go up, and you can take advantage of that down the line by borrowing against it, selling, all the different ways that you can access the equity. So there's also appreciation. So you have that cash flow and the appreciation. Then you've got the hedge against inflation. So right now, people are seeing this more than ever because rents have gone up so much, right? Mm -hmm. Who benefits from that? Landlords are who benefits from that. So what I mean is inflation's going through the roof. When we look at inflation over the last 100 years, generally real estate, the returns on real estate, tracks inflation over the long run. That's the truth. So with that said, if inflation is going up and you own rental property or you own real estate investments, you can be certain that the rents will be able to track inflation. Over a long period of time, those rents will go up. And with dividends, with stocks and all that, you can't guarantee that at all. But with real estate generally, that is something that is a big, big Big benefit. How do I know it's the right one? How do I know which one is right? Well, that's one of the benefits. You have the control. If you're doing direct ownership, 
You have control. So what's right for you? I don't know. What are you looking for? How much cash flow are you looking for? So really, when we dumb it down, it's a case by case, right? You could have two properties on the same block. One of them is a great investment. One of them is not. But what we're really looking at is how much money's coming in versus how much money's going out, right? So if your mortgage payment with everything, and again, talking about direct real estate ownership, if your mortgage payment's 2500 a month out the door and your rental income's 3000 a month, there's a good little margin there, right? But if your mortgage payment is 2500 a month and your rental income is only $2,400, i am not saying it can't work at all, but for retirement income, that's probably not your best bet. You want to look for a good margin of cash flow so that if something comes up, you can move forward. You don't have to completely ruin and drain your bank account on one issue. You have control over property management. You have control over the property that you buy if you're doing it yourself. But stocks and bonds, you have no control. So when we compare them, you have way control over the real estate unless you're investing in the real estate investment trust, in which case you're really like handing the controls over to a management team who's going to really pick the properties and kind of do everything for you. Hmm. So that's kind of the difference. Are there, I don't know, like specific types of, of real estate investments that are maybe more suitable for generating retirement income than compared to others? Yeah, so we got to look at what are your retirement income needs, because some people may be okay having like $3,000 a month in retirement income. Other people may not even be able to pay their basic bills with that amount, right? Mm. So we got to look at how much money do you need for retirement. And I'm not a financial advisor. I'm a real estate and mortgage professional. So with that said, I'm not the one to tell you what you need in retirement. You want to talk to a financial pro, someone on your wealth team that understands, you know, cash flow and investments and and all that. So they can tell you, here's what you need in retirement. Then we can reverse engineer that and plug real estate into that plan. Risk tolerance is important. If we're talking about retirement, we're talking about the final chapter of your life in most cases, right? We don't want to be taking big risks. We don't want to be doing development deals or deals where there's a lot, where you could lose 50% or more of your investment. We want deals where your investment's protected. There's strong cash flow. There's a history of making money with the property, whether it's commercial or residential. We want that history because although the you know it's not a guarantee of the future, the past is at least a good idea of what could happen in the future, right? So we want to use those projections and those histories from the past to look at what the future is going to be. And you have to decide as a retired or soon-to-be-retired real estate investor, are you looking for hands-on active investing where you're going to deal with the tenant and deal with the property, and that's fine. You can do that. But there's also the other side of the coin, which is the passive, the real estate investment trust, the the syndications, the crowdfunding. Consult your wealth team to figure out what's going to work best for you and how it fits in. Folks, you are listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast. Uh, You can check out Rob's website at uh, robgw.com. And a phone number to make that uh, make that appointment, 860-413-3938. I'll repeat those numbers, uh, that phone number and the website again, of course, more towards the end of the show. Even give you an, uh, an email address along with Rob Weinberg. I'm Gary Byron. What are some of the common, I don't know, maybe challenges, Rob, that or, or maybe even some risks that are associated with using real estate for retirement income? And, and, and really, let me ask you this also, can they be mitigated? Yeah, so there's obviously market fluctuations that can happen, right? Real estate can go up. It can also go down, right, if we really think. So 
you know, there's going to be volatility with the value. One way to mitigate that is to not use a lot of debt, meaning buy a property and put a big down payment. That's going to help mitigate the risk because if the property goes down and you want to bail out, if you have 20 or 30 percent equity and the house goes down 10 percent, you're still okay. Whereas if you put a really, really low down payment, you might be stuck, right? So that's one way to mitigate. Next thing is property management and tenant-related issues. So, you know, I have a property in North Carolina, a direct ownership property. I haven't been down there in over five years. I have a property manager that manages it for me. We've gotten multiple new tenants in there. I've never talked to them once. They deposit the money in my bank account. They screen the tenants. They collect the rent. They deal with the repairs. That's it. It's so easy. And I've owned this property, by the way, since 2007 I bought it. And You know, I lived there for a little bit back then, but obviously I've been in Connecticut. And in the last, since I bought it and moved up here, I've only been down twice to the property. Okay, 13 years I've been down there twice. The property manager handles everything. So people say, well, I don't want to invest in real estate because I don't want to deal with that. That's what property managers are for. Mine charges 10% of the rent worth every penny. You might be able to find one that's a little cheaper, but find someone that has experience in the area managing properties. There's a lot of them. They can take a lot of that off your plate. And that can be great if you're retiring, looking for that more passive income, right? But still, you want some control. Um, Financing risk, interest rates going up. Mortgage products changing, just the mortgage risk, the risk of having a mortgage on a home. What if the tenant doesn't pay? Do you have the money to cover that? So the Mm. mitigation strategies with that are going to be to have a reserve fund, have a contingency fund, right? Mm. So that if something happens or the tenant doesn't pay, you've got reserve. You've got the ability to do that. It doesn't derail your whole process. Um, You want to diversify through different strategies. Like I do both passive and active investing, Uh, do a lot of market research, geographic diversification. You want to have properties, especially if you're doing syndications, you want to have properties all over. The main areas I've been focusing on over the last year have been like the southeast because there's a lot of growth going on in the southeast. A lot of people are moving to Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, those lower cost states from higher cost states. That's creating demand for commercial real estate. That's creating demand for single family family rentals, you know, all that stuff. So that's really, really important to understand. You know, it really is. What about tax benefits? Is there any potential for tax benefits and, and, and maybe some implications of investing in, in real estate, uh, for especially for retirement income? Yeah, so there's tax deductibility that you'll get uh, for mortgage interest, taxes, depreciation, and other things. You want to consult with your tax advisor. But Definitely when it comes to the rental properties, lots of different tax deductions. That's one of the main reasons that some people get into real estate is because of the tax deductions. It's really the best of anything, (laughs) especially as an investor. There's so much you can write off that, uh, you know, a good accountant can go a long way. So definitely consult with them. Another thing is called 1031 exchanges. So 1031 exchanges is an event where you trade one property for another similar property and you avoid or I should say you defer the tax on it. So this has been really hot lately because people are looking to sell at a good time, but they're looking to also continue having that income. So they'll sell, say, an apartment building and buy another one. Or they'll sell a single-family home in Connecticut and buy a single-family home in Florida. There's this 1031 exchange that can be done, which can, again, defer, avoid. Uh, you got to check with your professionals for your situation to see if it applies. But it's a huge way to save a ton in taxes. So consult with your tax pro, consult with your wealth team to see if there's maybe any any other outside-of-the-box strategies that could work for your scenario. When you look at your real estate portfolio, um, how important is diversification? Super important. I mean, you want to diversify in different property types, locations, and strategies. Um, Residential properties, because no matter what happens with the economy, people need a place to put their head at night. 
commercial properties, apartment buildings, retail office. I've started recently investing in short-term rentals, vacation homes. I'm in a few funds through the syndications on that. Um, The real estate investment trust we were talking about, you can pick your sector, office, industrial, retail, hospitality, timberland. If you want to invest in forest, you can invest in forest real estate, healthcare, self-storage, data center, infrastructure, and specialty like movie theaters, uh, farmland, casinos. These are all, so you can get very, very granular when it comes to real estate investment trust. When you say, I think the self-storage market is great. I want to put money there. You can go find a self-storage real estate investment trust and go put in five grand. And you have access to hundreds of self-storage facilities in that portfolio. That's diversification. That's what the real estate investment trusts uh, really allow. But you want to balance between cash flow and those with long-term appreciation. Now, as someone looking at retirement, our listeners today, you want to focus more on the cash flow. If you're younger, you have time to swing to the fences. That's where you can do maybe a little more of the development, the the higher risk that will give you the higher return. But that's not something for real estate retirement. That's not something necessarily for real estate cash flow in retirement. All right, let's talk about the elephant in a room here now. It's that, it's that time of the show. Let's talk about some strategies for financing real estate okay. investments. So leverage your existing equity. <clears throat> if you're someone that already owns one home, and you should be, if you don't, yeah. that's where you want to start. But how do we get into that next home? Leverage the equity you have. If you haven't tapped it in many years, maybe you bought your home five or ten years ago, you may be sitting on a lot more than you think. Had a client just recently do this, cashed out, refinance on their current primary home, took that money they got, it's about 75000 and we put that down on a three-family home for their investment portfolio. That's how they were able to leverage was refinancing their primary home, taking out equity, and using that as the down payment. They did that because they didn't want to take money out of their 401k. They didn't want to raid their investments that are down right now. So that's how they did it. It may be a home equity line of credit, home equity loan, but one way or another, leverage that existing equity. Another one for our 62 and over listeners is going to be the reverse mortgage. Reverse mortgage can be an amazing way to build a real estate portfolio because you have access to this growing line of credit. You can use that line of credit to buy other properties. You can use that line of credit to invest in real estate investment trusts or syndications. So that can be a great way. And you want to partner with other investors. You know, that's a big strategy is partner with other investors. Don't go at this alone, especially if it's your first go around. Uh, Make sure you've got that wealth team. And if you're someone that wants to dip their toe in the water, look strongly at the real estate investment trust we've been talking about, the REITs. R-E-I-T, and look at the real estate syndications because they have very low minimums. You can dip your toe into some of these with $500, $1,000, $5,000. You can't do anything in real estate with that amount of money. This is a way to get your foot in the door. And the real estate syndications, there's a, there's a lot of different sites out there. So for those listeners that are interested in that, the ones that I recommend are Fundrise, CrowdStreet, Realty Mogul, and Fund That Flip. Again, Fundrise, CrowdStreet, Realty Mogul, and Fund That Flip. Those are the ones that I personally use and I really do love, and I get cash flow every single month from these companies. There's other ones out there, but these are the ones that I love. Can you answer a question in 30 all seconds? Right. <laughs> how, do you, how can someone actively manage all these this real estate investments and, and to maximize their retirement income Yeah, potential? so you got to start looking at your real estate as a portfolio like stocks or bonds, meaning you have to be reevaluating it on an ongoing basis. You need to make sure you've got the right rental rates on your rental properties. If not, you need to change those. You need to look at the trends that are going on. You know, what is going to keep you on the forefront? Keep your properties in good repair. 
enhance the property condition to command higher rents and have a long-term strategy based on your evolving goals in retirement. Folks, you've been listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge Podcast. For information on this show, as well as all the other ones that we've done, simply head over to Rob's website. It's www.robgw.com. Again, robgw.com. And you could email this show if you've got a question. Maybe get it answered right here on these very airwaves as soon as next weekend, for example. Simply email us at Mortgage Matters Radio Show at gmail.com. And that all important phone number to make a consultation with Rob, simply give him a call as soon as you can at 860-413-3938. Again, it's 860-413-3938. For Rob Weinberg, I'm Gary Byron. Thank you so much for listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show in the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast. Until next Saturday morning, have a good one, everybody. So long. Thanks for listening. If you have questions about the information we've covered or would like to discuss mortgage financing for your situation, you can reach Robert Weinberg by visiting www.robgw.com.